All right. Okay. Um, yes, a couple of days ago, we encountered a, a sugiya, a very short sugiya, which is just a lot of fun because it impacts on a lot of on a lot of different things. And it starts, of course, with shofar. Uh, and in the Mishnah, as you can see here in the first source, in the Mishnah, we uh, mentioned that if a, uh, a person who's ineligible blows shofar, then they cannot do it on behalf of the public. And then the rule, If you're not personally obligated in a particular action, you cannot do it on behalf of the community. Now, there are two different parameters that we need to, to take a look at. One is, how are we defining rabbim? In other words, a strict read of this text, a literal and strict read of this text would be, anyone who is not obligated in a particular matter cannot do it on behalf of the public. So does that mean only the public? That means you can't be a shleach tzibor if you're ineligible? In practice, we don't distinguish between do it for doing it for the public or doing it for one other person. So the language here is a little bit unusual, except that the way that we normally picture in many cases, one person doing an act on behalf of others is when he's the agent of the, of the community. All right, so just kind of put that aside. Uh, a second thing that I want to ask about is always also somewhat parametric, and it's not going to be the focus this year, but just something to raise to think about, is the, the context in which this is being discussed is the mitzvah of shofar. Now, the mitzvah of shofar, every mitzvah is unique. I say it's unique, and you also can't say call something very unique because that's a ridiculous phrase. But shofar, for our purposes, is a little bit off because normally when we talk about doing an act on behalf of others, what we picture is we're all obligated to do a certain act, but for one reason or another, either because of ability or because of availability, or because of aesthetics, we find it preferable to have one person do it and other people fulfill it through that person. And a classic example of that is going to be the reading of the Megillah. What is my obligation regarding the Megillah? What am I obligated to do? I'll hear it twice. Actually, I'm obligated to read it twice. Read it. Yeah, you read it twice. And what's your obligation? Your obligation is to read it. Everybody's obligated to read it. There's no yin and yang in it. There's no reader and listener. We're all obligated to read the Megillah. And as a result of that, since both aesthetically prefer a big group together, it's nice. Also, uh, ability, not everybody is capable to do it. And also availability. It could be that there aren't that many Megillot available. What we do is we have a big public reading and the reader who is knowledgeable and able to do it reads. Mm -hmm. And what does everybody else do? They all make the bracha. So they answer into the bracha. What else do they do? They follow along. They follow along. And by the way, ideally, they follow along with the Megillah in their hand. And they actually read the words quietly to themselves. And the guy's kind of coaching them. Okay? But then again, some people can't do that. So they follow along in a, in a printed text. And they just listen to the words. Okay. But I want you to see how this is different than shofar. In the case of Megillah, in the case of Brachot, and that's going to be our focal point of the Shi'ur, every person has the same obligation, and the agent is doing that obligation, and through the agent, the rest of us are fulfilling the obligation. Here's where Shofar gets different. What is the mitzvah of Shofar? Lishmoa. right? So that means that mm -hmm. I'm obligated to hear it, you're obligated to hear it, it is impossible for me to appoint somebody else to hear it for me. You realize why? Because then I'm not doing anything. So I'm saying, you go to Shul, you hear Shofar, and, uh, you know, I, I paid for your seat. Doesn't make sense. So in what context do we speak about being motzi others with Shofar? What is the agent doing? Blowing it. The creating the sound. You understand why this is not the same? The agent is blowing the shofar. So what we say is that if the agent is someone who is personally not obligated in the mitzvah of hearing shofar, 
then their blowing shofar is not the act of an obligated person. And therefore, my hearing it is, I'm not hearing a proper shofar blast. I'm hearing a shofar blast. Kilo was on a machine or on a recording or a monkey did it. It doesn't matter. It's not a, a, not a liable or a value, valid shofar blast that I can be yotzu with. But do you understand the difference between shofar and everything else? Because in everything else, there's an action that I want have to do, that you have to do, that everybody else has to do. And for one of several reasons, and maybe a confluence of reasons, we appoint an agent to do it on, on our behalf, meaning he's doing the action and we're all having the action that we're, 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 we're hitchhiking on the action. With Shofar, he's doing not the action of the mitzvah. He's doing the necessary setup for the action of the mitzvah to happen. You cannot fulfill the mitzvah of hearing Shofar unless somebody blows Shofar. And now we're saying the person blowing the shofar has to be somebody who is a valid shofar blower, which means they have to be chayiv in the mitzvah. So I just want to point out that this entire discussion we're going to engage in starts from a somewhat erratic place. And nevertheless, we overlook that and we read the rule of shofar as being applicable everywhere and equally everywhere. Um, and therefore, zehaklal, kol she'eno chayam v'davar, e'no chovatan. If you're not personally obligated, you cannot do it on behalf of the Rabim. And again, the Rabim here actually translates in even doing it for one other person, although the normal context is public. All right, I just want to put that out of the way. Now, one other thing that I want to show you before we get into our source material is something that will become relevant a little bit later on in the Shi'ur, but I just want to show it to you now. Um, and it is a Gemara, it shows up in Yoma, it shows up in a couple other places, a Gemara in the fifth parak of Brachot, uh, which is right here. Um, uh, and um, the, the context is, is helpful for us. The Gemara is giving a history of Havdalah. And it says Havdalah originally was to be done on a cup of wine. When the, there was a national recession and people became poor, I don't know, recession, but people became poor, the rabbis made a rule that you make Havdalah in tefillah, doesn't cost you any wine. And then when they became rich again, they said that you could do it on the coast. And if you do both, that's beautiful, right? Meaning you could do either, but if you do both, that's beautiful. That's the context. Then the Gemara asks, Hagufakasha, there's an inherent contradiction. They, the quote there was that if you do have the line in davening, it's better than doing it all across. So you see that Havdala in davening is enough. Havdala in davening means And then the next thing it says, but if you do both, that's even better. So you understand, if you did only one, you're Biyotse, but if you do two, it's even better. The problem with that is, so if, the, if it's the case that you're Yotze with one of them, you're already exempt. Which means the second one is now an unnecessary bracha. Meaning you're making a bracha, it's a legitimate bracha, but it's not needed because you already fulfilled that obligation. Some of this comes back to Rish Lakish. If you make a bracha a bracha which is unnecessary, you violated the biblical prohibition of lotisa, of not taking God's name in vain. Now keep that in mind as we get into our sugya. You'll see why I'm bringing that up. Okay. So now, okay, um, I'm going to ask somebody here has uh, some ambient noise. If you could just mute yourself, please. Okay. Let's take a look at our sugya. Tani Ahava bereid Rabbi Zera. Remember today in the sugya we saw Rabbi Zera taught his son Ahava. Now we hear Ahava bereid Rabbi Zera, same guy, said taught the following thing. Kol habrachot kulan, motzi. For all brachot, even although you were already yotze, you already fulfilled your obligation. You can fulfill the obligation for others. Now, I want to. Before going any further, talk about two words that are related words 
that are commonly used. We all know what they mean, and yet we don't necessarily know what they mean. All right? And an important principle of language, certainly true in Hebrew. We have lots of abstract words that the literal translation of the word is something quite tangible and quite real. Okay? Um, for instance, how do you say to help somebody out? In, in Hebrew, he said, literal translation would be to give him a hand. In English, we say the same thing. Now, you're not physically giving him your hand. You're helping him in some other way. We also have um, um, words that start off maybe as body parts. And then by borrowing, we apply them to other things. For instance, what's a spring in Hebrew? How do you say a spring? The water comes out of the ground. Maya, Maya, Maya. Because it's like the eye that's round and has liquid coming out of it. It's an ayin. Okay? Um, um, a, uh, a, uh, a, a promontory, like a cliff, is called, in English, South Africans here, is called a cape. Cape is actually an Aramaic word, kefa, which means rock. Kefa also means head. How did that become a head? So you have head, a physical head, and then it can translate to that. But let's think about the word rosh. The word rosh means head. What does rosh end up meaning also, even in Tanakh? First. What? First. Beginning. Beginning. First. The beginning, first. It can also mean the guy in charge. Master. 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 Right? What? Master. The master, right? So, in other words, Rosh goes from a, a physical term and then we borrow it out and it becomes abstract. And this is true about many, many words that we have. Um, now, I'm mentioning that because the verb Yatsa has a tangible meaning, which then takes on an abstract meaning. What is the tangible meaning of Yatsa? Literal translation of Yatsa in a physical sense. Went out. Went out. Voshot went out to do with what we're doing, the following. We create an abstract image of obligations as being bonds that tie us down. Like two hands on our shoulders, a burden that you're carrying. And now, why, imagine, look at my, my me on the screen, the burden is being held by hands. When you finish your obligation, what has happened? You have left the hands of the obligation. The, hand, the hands are gripping you. When you've done your obligation, you've left the hands of the obligation. And therefore we say, Yatsa Yedei Chova. Literal translation, he has left the hands of the obligation. But you understand this is all now abstract and not and not physical okay that's what yatsan means so that's why we use colloquially yes but you know you did this yatsar lo yatsar which means i did this in a less than ideal form but was it sufficient enough to consider be considered fulfilling the obligation yatsar or was it insufficient and therefore lo yatsar and lo yatsar the application is i have to do it again right so you davened mariv on Rosh Chodesh, and you forgot Yalev Yavo. Obviously, you should have said Yalev Yavo. You come up to the rabbi and you say Yatsati or Lo Yatsati. Now, of course, if he doesn't, if he's not a rabbi, he doesn't understand what you mean. He says, well, I don't understand. Why are you asking me if you went outside? You're inside. But obviously, you're not asking about where you are. You're asking about did I fulfill the obligation, right? Now, there is a related word which is Lehotzi. What is Lehotzi? What does that mean in Hebrew? Take out. To take remove, out is the positive of Yatsa. I left Egypt. God took us out of Egypt. We left. God took us out. So therefore, I have an obligation. And the question is, Yatsati or Lo Yatsati? Did I leave the hands of the obligation? Did I fulfill it? I'm doing this because broader than just our shiur. It's something that we speak about all the time. And I want to kind of crystallize the image. But lehotzi means to bring another out. 
So what does that mean? That means if I am going to be motzi you, the obligation, what that means is I'm pulling you out from the hands of the obligation. In other words, I'm doing an act that gets you out. And so therefore, when we come up to somebody who is an expert in something, and we say, can you be motzi me? Which is not any language, but you're basically saying, can you pull me out from this obligation? I can't do it myself. I don't want to do it myself. I don't know how to do it myself, right? I don't have the necessary tools. Can you do it for me? That's what we mean. So now, back to our statement. Which means, regarding all brachot, even though you were already yotze, which means you fulfilled your obligation, you can now, again, fulfill it on for others. Now, notice, he says, kol habrachot kulan, which means now, now you understand the thing that I showed you a couple minutes ago, we now have a problem of bracha sheinat tzricha. In other words, I made a bracha, and I've already fulfilled my obligation, right? And now somebody comes along, and they don't know how to make the bracha. I can make it, and they can say amen. But why isn't it a bracha sheinat tzricha? So I'll give you an example. All right, and this happens to me every year on Rosh Hashanah. I blow shofar in, in, in uh, Armenian, backyard, and shul, wherever it might be. And then I'm walking home and somebody will grab me and say, yeah, my mother couldn't get, uh, get to shul, my father couldn't get to shul. I have some people here who are old, elderly, they couldn't get to shul. Can you come in and blow shofar for them? Of course, I'm honored to. I come in, what do I do? What's the first thing I do? How are you? Hey, and, and then? Make a bracha. I make the bracha. I make two brachas. <laughs> How can I do that? Shachiano, you say shachiano? Yeah. Yeah. Why? How can I do that? Because you're extending, you're extending Kiddusha. You're extending, you're extending the mitzvah. Okay. Like, okay. All okay. kinds of rationales. Why is it not a bracha? It's tricha by them, not by you. Yeah, I know, but I'm the one making the bracha. We're good, so we're going to get into this. I just want to phrase the questions. So notice what he says. Chutz, get this. Now, what, what does that mean? It's a little bit of a strange phrase. What does it mean? Hamotzi and Kiddush. Hamotzi and Kiddush? Or Hamotzi and Okay, a different, you'll see the difference. Okay. So that means on a simple read of this, that you come over to my you we're sitting together <coughs> and I have a sandwich and you have a sandwich. And you say to me before anything starts, listen, I, I'm just trying to learn how to make these brachot. I don't know how to do it. Can you make the bracha and I'll say amen? Sure. I wash, you wash, we sit down, I say amotzi out loud, you say amen. Very good. On the other hand, I'm already sitting there. I've already washed and made a motzi. Then you come up and say, listen, I see you're Jewish. I'm trying to learn how to say these blessings. Can you please say a motzi for me? The answer is, sorry, I can't. I can't do that. I, depending on the, but in a normal circumstance, right? Why is that? So let's take a look at Rashi right now. Rashi's in source three. So, Take a look at Rashi. Alright, and that's a necessary word that has to be added at the end of all of those slogans and bumper stickers and posters. It's true that we have to help other Jews out. It's true that we have to give it to charitable causes, but that does not mean that's not the meaning of Kol Yisrael Arvin Zabazeh. What's Arvin Zabazeh? Lemitzvot, which means, what does it mean in practical terms? What is Arvut? You're responsible. Right. Responsible, which means I took, I made a deal with God. And I said, God, not only am I going to fulfill all the mitzvot that you gave me, but I'm responsible for everybody that's within my periphery to make sure that they'll do it too. And they're responsible for me too. All right, we're going to see in the run an expression of this, which is gorgeous, which is going to take this a step further. Okay, good. So that's why, in answer to my question, it's not a bracha because I took a separate responsibility and I have a separate obligation to make sure you do the mitzvah. Very nice. 
Look at the next Rashi. Rashi says it's not just wine and bread. It is all brachot on food and on smell. There's no obligation to eat an apple. Don't eat an apple, eat an apple. You're not allowed to get benefit from this world. You're not allowed to eat an apple without a bracha. That's a different problem. But there's no mitzvah to eat an apple. Therefore, there is no arvut. There is no responsibility. You know, don't want to have an apple, don't have an apple. It's, we're not forcing you to have an apple. When I have an apple, that's up to you. On the other hand, you do have to shake lulav. And therefore, I, as somebody who's arrayed for you, am responsible for you, lulav, and therefore I can make the bracha, even though I already made it. Okay. And then, the, the Gemara then moves on. Ba'irava. Birchata lechem shel matzah. Now, how many brachot do you make over matzah at the Seder? Two. 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 What are they? Amotzi and alechela matzah. Now, which one of them is a birchata mitzvah? So we're going to we're going to take a break in a few minutes, and we're going to talk about the structure of brachot. It's going to do some very general stuff, but critical stuff, right? So now. Now, in what is a very misleading phrase, Kiddush Hayom actually means, throughout Chazal, means Friday night, not daytime. Daytime is not Kiddush. Daytime is Bray Pragafen. That's not Kiddush. Kiddush Hayom is Friday night. That bracha. So now, what Rav is asking is, What's he asking about? I already said hamotzi and alachinat matzah, and I ate my kezayit. And now somebody shows up at my seder a little late, and they really, the first seder they've ever been to, they want to do it right. Can I say hamotzi for them? What do you think? Can I say hamotzi for them? Alachinat matzah, I can say. Can I say hamotzi for them? No, because from what you what you suggested, hamotzi is more optional, whereas alachinat matzah is the actual mitzvah. Very good. On the other, which means I couldn't. On the other hand, why would I be able to make the bracha hamotzi for them? Because what was the thing that drove the distinction? Is every Jew obligated to shake lulav? Yes. Is every Jew obligated to eat an apple? No. That was what drove the distinction, right? But every Jew is required to eat matzah. There we go. Beautiful. All right, and that's the way Rava presents it. Kevan de Chovahu, I'm right under the blue. Mapik, since it's an obligation to eat matzah, I can say a motzi. The bracha motzi is not part of the obligation. What's the obligation? The obligation to eat matzah. So let's see. Toshma dam Ravashi. So Ravashi tells a story. I was in Ravapi's house. Ravapi was one of his Ravim. He would make Kiddush for us Friday night. And then a sharecropper would come in later from the field. He'd make Kiddush for him, including Bari Priyagafen. By the way, this is exactly what we do. I don't know how many of you have had this experience. We've had it. I'm guessing most of you have had too. You invite people over for Shabbos dinner. And uh, they're not familiar. They're not observant, whatever it may be. And you tell them five o'clock, five fifteen, whatever it is, six o'clock, and you sit down at six o'clock, and they're not there, and six thirty, they're not there, and six forty-five, they're not there, and finally you figure they're not coming. So you sit down, you make kiddush. It always happens. Murphy's law: the minute you say the words "mekadesh Shabbat," they walk in. Right? What do you do? You yell at them and berate them for being late. Okay. Well, <laughs> then what do you do? Make kiddush for them. You make kiddush for them, including by pragafim. Right here, you see it. Now, on the other hand, you are having um, some friends over on a Sunday evening, and you're serving wine and cheese, and you made bread pregafen and some wine. And then your friend says, uh, oh, can you make that bracha for me? I don't know how to do it. Can you do it? No. No, no because no. there's no obligation to drink wine on a Sunday evening, wine and cheese. So therefore, it falls out of that out of that category. Okay, very good. So now let's 
Uh, let's take a look. The Yerushalmi has what seems to be a parallel passage, but not so quick. Tani, see it in source four. Kol mitzvah she'adam patur, adam This is a different formulation. Any mitzvah that you're exempt from, you can motzi others. Huh? What does that mean? So what it seems to mean is, if you've already done it, means you're exempt because you, you're, it's an obligation when you've already done it. What's the one exception? Benching, if you've already benched, you can't bench for somebody else. Interesting. They quote our Mishnah. Right? So we don't get it. Because what's the framing of our Mishnah? It's not if you've done the act, it's if you're a person who's obligated in the act. And therefore, if you're somebody who's obligated in the act, you can do it for others. I can blow shofar 15 different times on Rosh Hashanah for 15 different groups or individuals, and that's fine, because I'm somebody who's high of The fact that I was already Yotze at time number one doesn't do anything. So how come I can't bench for other people? I benched, but I'm a person that's high in benching. And therefore, why can't I bench again for some other people I benched? And then I'm walking past the table at the restaurant. And these people say, oh, what a quaint little custom. What is that? We say, we say great. Oh, great after meals. I remember that from my kidhood. I don't know how to do it. Can you do it for me? Why can't I do it? Because it's a different act. It's, an act. it's an act of finality that you, you do at the end of you, you do at the end of something. I know. So they you first don't know. They need their kind of The key of benching is on the person that ate. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, but that doesn't matter. So you didn't eat with them. I know, but they ate. And they don't know how to say the bracha. Why can't I do it for them? They also didn't shake bullet. I could say that bracha for them. Why can't I say the bracha for them? Because you you're saying you. thank you to, you're thanking, you're saying thank you. There's like a relationship there that's between you and Hashem versus. It's beautiful, except for the following problem is that, let's take the Lulav example, right? I shook Lulav, I walked around, I said Hoshana 14,000 times, I come down. Some other guy comes and says, can you show? Can you please help me with Birchat Lulav? Right? So I say, here, take my Lulav, pick it up. No. And what does he say? Asher Lulav. Right? I'm saying those words, but he's shaking the Lulav. I'm not shaking the Lulav. Here's another rationale. The Rakata Mazon is only valid if you send the brachot before the meal. If you said hamotzi or something before the meal, then you then Rakata Mazon. If you didn't, perhaps it's less obligation and that you can't you can't do it for somebody else. So in other words, you're now going to argue that the other guy sitting at the table who noticed my quaint custom did it's, it for hamotzi, right. therefore his Rakata Mazon is less of an obligation. No, if you if you ate bread without a mozi, you still have to bench. Of course you do. Benjamin's the right though, regardless. Maybe it's Vachalta Vasavata, so it's singular. Okay, could be. Let's take a look. Is it is related to the fact that you had the experience of enjoying the meal, therefore? Oh, very good. You guys are hitting all you hitting all the right cylinders. Take a look. You Kurt, you're right. Alan, you're right. Good. Take a look. All right. So take a look at here. We have the the challenge. We started out by saying if you're already exempt, already exempt. I'm adding in the word already because that's what the implication is. If you're already exempt from something, you can still do it for others except benching. That's the only exception, by the way, benching. And now they're going to say, what about the Mishnah in our Rosh Hashanah, our Mishnah that says that if you are a person who's chayav, you can do it for others. That means even if you've already done it, you can do it for others. So I'm Rav Laya, it's Ilya really. Benching is different. Why? You eat, you guys, what you guys said, you eat, you're satisfied, you bless God. And the drusha is Misha Achal The person who ate has to say the benching. And you guys are absolutely right. Parenthetically, we do things a little differently than that, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna at the end of the paragraph, I'll come back to it. Amru, they said, we're going to challenge that. This rule this shouldn't apply to Kriyachma either. 
In other words, this rule that we saw above in the blue with a little bit of, of green shading, <clears throat> which is that even if you've already exempted yourself, you can do it for somebody else, except for benching. You said that shouldn't apply to Kriyat Shema either. Why? It seems that everybody should say the words by themselves. And by the way, this is now a new level. Based on what we got to before that line, let's say that I was sitting at a table and you were sitting at a different table at a restaurant. And I ate a meal and you ate a meal. And then you came over to sit with me after the plates are clear and we're talking, we're talking politics, we're talking whatever we're talking. And then you said, look, I don't know benching by heart and I don't have it on my phone because I'm living in the fourth century. We don't have phones yet. And can you please say Birkat Amazon for me? Can I do it? Based on what we just saw. No. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. 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 They're, they're only saying that that this rule that if I've already done it, I can't do it again. They want exceptions Birkat Amazon. But look at the reasoning. Would then say what when the guy comes over to my table and says, can you bench for me? Could you or could you not? What do you think? No. Just see not because you ate. You got to thank God. I can't thank God for you. And you guys are right. Benching is a unique case. Maybe because the right, maybe because of the wording of the pasuk. You, are, you benefited. You got to thank God. Okay, so that means that we now have two extremes, meaning everything's on extreme. You have everything else on one side, which is even if you, as long as you're somebody who's chayav, even if you already did it, you can do it again for somebody else. Benching on the other extreme, even if you haven't done it yet, you cannot do it for somebody else. You bench and he has to bench. That's what it sounds like. And how do I know that? Because Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Yudha ben Pazi extend that same exception to Kriyachma. Why? We want everyone to say the words by themselves. We don't want somebody to get up there and say Shema Yisrael, nobody listens. Because the words are We want you to say these words. Which means, by the way, even if I never said Shema, and I get up and say Shema, I still can't do it for you. And now watch the next one. It also doesn't make sense. You could do that for tefillah. Because it makes sense that everybody has to pray for their own welfare. Everybody has to supplicate themselves. I can't stand there and let you pray to God for me. It makes sense. So we now find that the Yushalmi presents three exceptions to the rule, but the exceptions are now at the other extreme. In the Bavli, what we had was any bracha you haven't yet made, you can make for anybody, it doesn't matter. If you've already made the bracha, you could say it again, with the exception of food brachot. There's no obligation. And then we said if the food itself is a mitzvah, like matzah, wine of kiddush, you could do it. Yushalmi is saying a whole different direction. Yushalmi is saying it's either one extreme or the other. Either it's something you could say as many times as needed for whoever needs it, or you can never do it for the other guy, even if you haven't done it. Because everybody has to do their own benching, Everybody has to say their own kriyachma, everybody has to say their own tefillah. Now, let's think about how true this is about benching and tefillah. Kriyachma it is. How true is it, this about benching and tefillah? Let's start with tefillah. What is the format? Tefillah, by the way, I just want to ask you. What is the format of tefillah? What does it look like? Plural. The guy gets up and leads us, and Gal Yisrael, and what do we all do? It says Gal Yisrael, what do we all do? Amen. Amen. And then what do we do? Gal Yisrael, then what do we do? We just want to ask quietly. We say quiet tefillah, right? What happens after the quiet tefillah? He repeats it out loud. Why is he repeating it out loud? Why is he repeating it out loud? They do it for themselves. For the people who did not know how to do it. People don't know. Which means, by the way, we're violating this rule. We're saying, even though it should be the case that everybody prays for themselves on their own behalf, here we say, well, people don't know how to say the prayers, so we're going to have somebody stand up there and say, you stand there and say amen. Seems like it's not working. Yeah. Parenthetically, let's say that we got together 
Uh, and I'll tell you a, a side, not exception, but a side, slide case of this from camp. Let's say that we were to get together, um, six of us are on a hike somewhere, right? We're hiking and our phones are not working. Everything we have is online. We're out of range, right? And only one person knows davening by heart. Can he get up there and daven, there's six of us, can he even get there and daven, say the words out loud and already says, amen? Why not? No. What do you need? Minion. Yeah, minion. And that's a mission Megillah that this, the whole notion of being a shleach tzibur means there has to be a minion there. So what changed? So I remember explaining it. That what happens is that when you get a minyan together, you've created a new entity, which is minyan, which is tzibur. And then what happens is your tefillah is part of tefillah tzibur. And therefore the agent is now an agent of the entire tzibur, and therefore you're being yotze through the vehicle of the community. But not that the individual can pray for you. <laughs> past at camp, for instance, um, is uh, some, sometimes when they're on, on outings and it's dark, uh, Shabbaton, and there's no light, and so people don't know the davening by heart, is we will have, uh, and I'm not I'm just saying, I, I know what we've done in the past in school, in B'nai Kiva, is somebody will get up who knows davening by heart and will say Shmon Esrei out loud, Mark, Shmon Esrei out loud, slowly, and everybody says it with him. Now that's not being motzi anybody. That's just cueing him. Um, that's just cueing him so that uh, so that everybody so that they know the words. That's a different story. Okay. Um, now, what about benching? How do we bench? So, if uh, I'm sitting with Bill and we're having lunch, we finish lunch, we both had bread. What do we do? We both bench, right? What happens if it's Bill Sherwin and me? Then what do we do? We do the Mizuman. We do the Mizuman. Now, ideally, yeah. what would happen at that point? Ideally. We pick, way, uh, ideally, Sherwin would be Mizuman because he's the coin. And then what happened? What would uh, Sherwin say? Everybody would get a bench. And then, and then after and then, the preliminaries, what would he say? The Iker Dean, you know, the Iker Dean is that he would say all of Berkatamazan out loud. We would just say Amen at the end of each bracha. Mm -hmm. Right? Oh, we would just say it. That's right. The Shokanach says that in case people have a difficulty focusing, so he should at least say the first bracha out loud and then we say the rest. That's what we do in our house. The Mazamin says the first bracha out loud and we say Amen and then we continue on our own. Shokanach makes it pretty clear you should actually say the whole thing out. One, just one guy. So how's that working? I ate. I'm not benching. Sherwin's benching. <laughs> but can we do that if it's just me and you, Bill? No, we have to say it ourselves. Right. So what happened is we have a mini minion. The minion for eating is three. The minion for dominating is ten. So the three have formed, and that's why there's so many complex halachot about what, what defines a mazuman. Did they have to say we're going to sit down together? Did they have to start together? Did they have to end together? Right? Does it have to be food that they could share? What if two guys are eating milkshakes, one guy's eating flashes? Things are interesting questions because you're creating a new entity. All right, so that's just as a response to the Jerusalem. But now you're going to see something that will surprise you, hopefully. Um, and that is the halachot gedolot. The halachot gedolot is not the very first, but one of the first post-Talmudic halachic works. It was authored in the ninth century by Rabbi Shimon Kaira, who was not one of the Gonim, but it's during the Gonic period. And it's pretty much patterned after the Gemara, but it's kind of like a, a forerunner to the Rift. It's an abridged version. And so here in Masachat Rosh Hashanah, he says the following. If you heard it from somebody who was already Yotze, you are Yotze. Here we go. Now remember what our Gemara said? See it? Right in the green shade. Right? 
Look at that. He's quoting our Gomorrah. But he's quoting our Gomorrah very differently. And we're going to see that this is actually going to bridge what looked like an unbridgeable chasm between the Bavli and Yushalmi. The Bavli stated, very simply, you can be motzi, somebody else, again, motzi, bring that out of the obligation, with any bracha, even though you already fulfilled it, except for lechem and yain. Which Rashi then said, and as the way it's conventionally understood, means those are two examples of birchotan nehenin, brachot of pleasure, before having pleasure. The Bahag quotes this Gemara, which means this is the version of the Gemara that he had. He's not making something up. And he says, What's Berchat HaPerot? Berchat HaPerot is a way of saying, All Berchot HaNani. Shahakol, Mazonot, Hamotz. Berchot you say before food. Berchat HaMazon. Berchat HaMazon is what you say after food. Shem lo yatsa motzi, miyatsa ino motzi. Which means, by the way, he seems to be bringing the Bavli and Yushalmi together because the Bavli that we have didn't mention Berchat HaMazon, but the Yushalmi did, right? So what, what, what's going on here? So um, in order to explain it, we have to, we have to take a jump down here to the Rambam. And as always, I have way too many sources here for the time that we have, but this, this is a vital Rambam for us to see and we'll see how much further we can get. Um, I may even steal the first year of Tani to do part two on this because it's a it's a big topic. Mitzvata semina Torah. This is the Rambam, the beginning of Hechot Prachot. Did we see it? There's source nineteen. Mitzvata semina Torah levarech achar achilat mazon. There's a mitzvah from the Torah to bench after you eat. Shnemar yachalta v'savat rachtata adonai nuracha. Remember that the Rambam built the Mishnah Torah as an expansion of Sefer Mitzvot. Sefer Mitzvot was built as the preface, as the predecessors the, to the Mishnah Torah. And so we have one mitzvah in Birchata and Hilchot Brachot, which is the Bracha Mitzvah Birchata Mazon. And now he's going to start with that. You're only Chayav Midoraita if you were satisfied. Not just a nibble. Even if you only had Kazait, still off the bench. That you have to make a bracha for any food matter before you enjoy it. Also to smell nice smells. Make the bracha first thing at the smell. Even if you intend to eat or drink the smallest amount, a drop. Right? You want to have a drop of water. Make a shakal. If you benefit from this world without a bracha, ma'al, it's considered to be trespass of kodshim. Another component is the midrabonan. The Rambam is reading this all as an expansion of benching. Benching is doraita. Dirabonan is making brachot before you eat. And dirabonan is also to make bracha after anything you eat meaning even not a meal. As long as you're there, you have to have a minimal, meaning a bracha before food, there's no minimal amount of food, the smallest amount. A bracha after food or drink, there is a minimal amount. Somebody who's tasting food like um, preparing food, you know, taste things that need salt, does not have a bracha, unless she eats a full, has a full revit, uh, does not make a bracha at all. Okay. Just like you make a bracha before benefiting. You make a bracha before doing any mitzvah, and then you do the mitzvah. Okay? So now, suddenly the Rambam is equating the brachot that we make before doing mitzvah to the brachot we have before eating. And then he says, and there's a lot of other brachot that the Chachamim established, which are thanksgiving and requesting and sort of mini tefillot. 
Today's Kortaboray Tamid, in order we should always remember God, Alpha Bishlon never lost some mitzvah, even though you didn't get benefit, and even though you didn't do a mitzvah. So you went to the bathroom, you say, Bracha Shayatzar. You wake up in the morning, you say a whole series of Brachot. <clears throat> You're studying Torah, you say, Bracha That's not If it's not Brachat mitzvah, it's a question. You see a rainbow, you see a Bracha, etc. Right? Halachadal is the one I really wanted to bring you to. All brachot in the world are one of three types. Brachot is what we call brachot brachot of pleasure, which are always before, and they're before eating, drinking, and smelling. That's it. That's, by the way, the smallest group. There's probably about uh, 11 or 12 of those. What are they? What are brachot Okay, there's Shahak on the Abid Barrow, right? Amotzebachaminaret, Bray Prayat, Bray right? Bray Prayat Gaffin, and Bray Minem is a note. And then there is Borei Nevisamim, Borei Atsebisamim, Borei Perchebisamim, Borei Isbebisamim. Ten brachot, maximum, right? That's it. Okay, what else is there? Brechat Hamitzvot. What are Brechat Hamitzvot? Shaki Shalom Esotav. Oh, and then from there. Yeah. What? Yeah. 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 Sorry, what? Like before you put on the line, they have to fill in. Fill in. Good. Right? Thanksgiving things. Today's court, fear God and all of those things. So now, um, what are the brachot of Shmona Esra? Which category do they fit? Duh, more than any. What? It depends. If there's the first three, there's the last three. I need all 19. All 19. All fit the same model. What are they? <clears throat> so the easiest way to remember it is via negativa. It's the easiest way to do it. Because Birchata Mitzvot is a very clear category with a very clear formula. Birchata Nanin is the 10 that I listed, and that's it. And you know, that's right before you're eating, drinking, or smelling. Hoda. So it's not that, it's called Hoda'a or Shavach or whatever. That's easy. Okay. What are the Brachot you make before a meal? What are those called? Hana. Hana. Except, let's say you're having a meal with bread. So, what are you going to do before you eat the bread? Hamotzi. And before that? Hamotzilat. That's mitzvah. And that's mitzvah. You're going to wash your hands. Hamotzilat yadayim. Make the birchata mitzvah. Then you make a birchata nenin hamotzi. And when you're done, you're going to bench. What's benching? Oh, hoda. That's right. Exactly. People don't recognize that, but benching is fundamentally different than birchat because it's not a bracha that you're saying because you're going to benefit from this world. It's a bracha of giving thanks to God for the food he gave you. Okay, good. So I just want, because that's important categories to be aware of. So it, what, doesn't, what doesn't make sense is that the brachot in the middle of Shemun Esrei are requests. Rafa'enu, slachlanu, etc. Good, so. But that's not hoda. Right, so take, a look, so take a look back at halacha gimel at the end of the first line. So this third category, which is, of course, the broadest category, includes brachot that we, in which we thank God, we praise God, and we request from God. That's all called brachot hashavach, even though it's not a fair name, or brachot hoda'ah. But if you think about it, it's, it, it's the biggest category because the other two categories are very well defined. And it's just sort of everything else. That's why I said via negativa. It's not this, not that. That's all that's left. All right. So now the Rambam skipping down to Halacha Yod. Kol abrachot kulan av bishmerach v'yatzai dechovatom mutar lo berech l'acherim shalensui dechovatan kedei lo tzion. Rambam quotes Rav Ava straight up for all brachot, even though you said the bracha, you were yotze. You're allowed to make this bracha for others that weren't yotze in order to yotze them. Notice how well he says it, how well he crafts the language. The exception is 
where there's no mitzvah involved. Right? I can't, I can't uh, say the bracha unless I get benefit. I remember once talking to a Talmud Chacham uh, at a wedding. I forgot his name. At a wedding, he was the Masada Kedushan. And afterwards, we were shmuzing, talking in Torah. And he pointed out to me that when he is Masada and not everybody does this, when he was Masada Kedushan, what's the first thing the Masada Kedushan does at a wedding? <clears throat> And then he gives the cup to the chatan, and then he gives it to the mother of the kala who lifts up the veil and gives her to drink, right? What's the problem? He made Bergafen and he didn't drink anything. So what this guy did, and I saw he did it, he oh. when he made Bergafen before he handed them the cup, he took his finger, took a little drop of wine and tasted it. Shouldn't be a brachal all. Interesting. Okay, um, good. And so then he gives an example. Aval, Birkata Hanayashi Eshba Mitzvah. This is right out of our Gemara. Birkata Nanin, where there is a mitzvah, you go on Achilat Matzah Belei Pesach, Kiddush Hayom. So the Hamotzi or Habgefen at those points. So I can make Boy Priyagafen and Mekadesh Shabbat and let somebody else drink the wine and I don't have to drink anything. Oddly, even though I said very right? Because I'm being motzidet. Okay, so now I want to take you with. It's funny you say that because it, uh, it always this has bothered me only for fifty years. At Havdala, Havdala, yeah. you you know you, you make the make you you uh, make the bracha by but then there's a hefsek. You're saying other brachot, and then you then you then you drink it at the end. Right. Still a little different issue. It's a half-sick issue, but right. Okay, so I'll give you an example of how we do that elsewhere. Think about Friday night. What do we do? Same thing. We say the same thing, right? And what do we do at a Brit Milah? And what do we do at Shavar Brachot? So there's a halacha that there are certain things that are called to unin kos, and with one exception, um, we always make the bread pregafen first, and then all the other things, and then and then drink the wine. As if the the entire structure of those brachot is, are now become raised in the festivity level because there's wine involved. So you very paragraph in first, and then you say all the other ones, right? And then you drink the wine. Interesting take. The one exception to that is what? What's the one exception to that where we make Burpagafin at the end, not at the beginning? There's only bench on a coast. For very obvious reason, you can't make bread break off and then bench because your benching ends the meal. That would it kind of defeat itself. I want to show you one last thing, just because Tanya, I am gonna I'm gonna turn this into a two parter because there's so much more to do here. I have to talk about arvut. We talk about the bracha shenatzricha issue, and there's a lot of great rishonim here to look at. Um, I want to show you something that's just absolutely delightful, just really really delightful. Uh, as you can see, Rashi already already signaled to us that what's driving my ability to make the bracha for you is a notion called arvut. And my responsibility for you to do the mitzvah means I can make the bracha again, even though I already made it, and be motzi with that because I have some skin in that game, okay? Um, you take a look here um, at Tosfot. Tosfot in Masachat Brachot. Quotes our Gemara and immediately says, he quotes it and then he says, The reason that I can make a bracha for you, even though I was already yotze, is can somebody now explain what that means? Though, I mean, Rashi said it here, Tosfot says it. What does that mean? I understand what the words mean. How does the fact that get me to the point where even though I said the bracha already, I could say it again? In other words, that's the reason, but please explain how that reason explains what I'm doing. How's that reason explain the law? Chinuch, you have a responsibility to mechanech someone. Well, good. So that I'm because I'm going to add something onto the next week's things. You're going to see um, is something that's limited to those people that you're obligated to be mechanech, and that's your members of your household who are junior, as it were, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to show you a ron that is is just. Uh, Sfatayim Yishak. Sfatayim Yishak is a Pasuk in Mishlei, which 
the only way you can say it in English is very coarse, which is finger looking good, but it's a great, great chak, right? Take a look at, um, at the Piskei read first. The read is Rabbi Shai of Trani, one of the great Italian chachamim of the 12th, 13th century, I think. He says, Yisrael You see it? And again, is not about uh, fundraising and, uh, you know, et cetera. It's about obligation to make sure that other people are doing mitzvot. You see that line right after the yellow? Your friend's obligation is on you. Now that gets us part of the way. I'm going to move a few decades later to Spain. I want to show you this run because this run is he says the following. <laughs> this is the Ron in his, in his commentary on the riff. He quotes this. You're going to cry when you hear this. Since your friend has not yet been Yotze, is as if you're not been Yotze. I want you to get what that means. It means I have an obligation to make Kiddush Friday night. There's another Jew down my block who hasn't made Kiddush. I make Kiddush. My Kiddush is incomplete. Why is my Kiddush incomplete? Because there's another Jew in the world who hasn't made Kiddush. This Jew walks into my house at the end of the meal Friday night. And I now have the opportunity to complete my mitzvah of Kiddush a little bit more by saying Kiddush again for him, and he can be, or her, and be Yotze. In other words, this is my obligation. Now this insight, this couple extra words of the Ran, raise the notion of mutuality and responsibility to a whole new level and a new level of understanding. Instead of the broad, first of all, there's the, the pedestrian version of it, which is well responsible. It's very nice and true. That's what it means. And then there's which means I'm responsible to make sure that you do as many mitzvot as possible and vice versa. And therefore, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to enable you and I'm going to invite you and excite you so that you will do more mitzvot because I have responsibility sort of as a fellowship, the Ron raises it. He says, when I agreed at Harsinai to make Kiddush, I also agreed to be responsible for everybody else's Kiddush. Part of my mitzvah of Kiddush, not Arvut, part of my mitzvah of Kiddush is everybody else's Kiddush, which means my Kiddush every Friday night is a deficient Kiddush because there's Jews somewhere in the world who have made Kiddush. There's even Jews down my block of make Kiddush. And therefore, my kiddush is deficient. And therefore, I can say it again because I haven't been fully yotze. Because I still have that obligation relating to that other person. I don't know about you, this run brings tears to my, tears to my eyes. Because it raises the, the, the entire bar of mutual responsibility to a whole new level. It's not just I have a broad re responsibility to educate other Jews, which is true, and to, and to excite them about how beautiful life of Torah is and how, how the level of responsibility and burden is such a privilege of, of being connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that way. But that each independent mitzvah that, I am, that, I'm ob that I'm obligated to do is a mitzvah which works on multiple planes, including the plane of everybody else's fulfillment of that mitzvah. And so that my own obligation and my own fulfillment is deficient as long as there's somebody else who hasn't done it. And therefore, I have the opportunity and the force, the push, so we say, to do it again on their behalf, because I'm really doing it on my behalf. This, this suggests, Rabbi, that deep in your heart, you're a Chabadnik. Not at all. <laughs> what, it, what it suggests is that, that the, and, and, and I, I'll, I'll pull it back from that. I, mean, I, pre, I appreciate it with humor. But I'll pull back from that because I think what the if you if you talk to people in the Kirov world, you will find that there are some people who are sensitive to this and some people who are not yet. 
Some of them are sensitive to this, this notion, which is that my own Shabbat is missing something if somebody else is Mechalal Shabbat, as opposed to the broader, more common notion, which is that <clears throat> we need to get all Jews more connected, which is true, all Jews more connected to their roots and all Jews more connected to Torah. Absolutely true. This speaks to a much finer, much more subtle, much more sublime relationship between each other and and uh, through and to the mitzvot. So again, that's part one. We're going to do part two next week. Um, let me just do one thing here. And...